0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossifari Zoo News, your look at everything going on in the worlds of zoos, conservation, aquariums, and general animal weirdness. Y'all, I mentioned this at the end of Tuesday's episode, but I know not everyone makes it all the way to right before the credits. So um, I just wanted to thank everyone involved at the top of the episode here uh, for helping the Safari podcast sponsor two livestock guarding dogs for the next year through cheetah conservation fund uh this was a fundraiser that i launched back with my episode uh with dr laurie marker when that dropped and um we did the thing y'all and now there are two dogs that are going to be out there helping save cheetahs and other predators in africa for a full year because of this little podcast i am so excited about that we actually got a little more than we needed so uh ccf got a little extra money to to do with as they will for cheetahs as well um So I just wanted to take a moment to thank everybody who contributed uh, either financially or just by sharing or even just the people who were like, hey, John, that's cool. Good job. Because that that actually does mean a lot to me. So um, thank you so much for doing that yeah um that's really the the total amount of exciting news in my life this week it has been a very chill week which has been greatly appreciated um i've had some of you asking me if i have any gigs coming up since i'm on this break right now and um towards the end of the year i'm going to be embarking on a gig but i can't really talk about it yet because honestly i haven't decided which one i'm gonna do yet I'm currently sitting on offers for three different uh, things, all of which have different schedules and are in different areas. One of them is a tour that would take me to a bunch of places. Two of them are more regional type gigs. Um, but, but yeah, I will be back out on the road and I will be letting y'all know uh, where I'm going to be once I have made up my darn mind and figured that out. And of course, I'll be trying to find any facilities I can in the area that I can feature on the podcast. But don't forget, y'all, We are almost in September now, and September is the month of conferences, apparently, Um, and so I am going to be attending the entire AZA conference this year, as well as uh, going to the azac conference which is the american association of zookeepers and the aazv conference the american association of zoo veterinarians uh let's see aza is in columbus and azac is in akron and aazv is in nashville and uh yeah i've already got some interviews lined up at the different conferences but also i'm just going to be there covering them for the podcast which is really exciting and fun and um I've actually got some new recording stuff to play with that I'm going to have available to me, and I'm hoping it will make it easier to maybe capture some stuff from the conference and, and share a little bit differently than I did last year from the AZA conference. But all of that will be coming soon, and I'm very excited to bring it all to you. But uh, I think that's not what we're really here to talk about, so uh, let's get to that. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bass for the monkeys now you should care now won't you listen to zoo news oh you could do anything but want to listen to All right. So uh, let's see here last week with our births section, we started off and one of the things we talked about was the fact that um, many sources had told me that Lincoln Children's Zoo uh, had two male red panda cubs born there that had not yet been announced, um, but it kind of had become the worst secret just in the zoo world. And just to clarify, uh, if I am asked to not share something that I am told on here, I don't. I am very careful about that, but in this case, um, I was told by multiple people who had been told by multiple people, and there was no asking for secrecy, so um, that's why I, I talked about that. Just for anyone listening and like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't tell John things. No, no, it's fine. I hear all kinds of cool stuff, and, and you, can, you can tell me. Uh, if I'm asked not to tell, don't worry, I won't. But uh, in this case, that wasn't the case. But now they have officially announced their pandlets to males. They are adorable. But you'll only be able to tell that on social media right now because they are staying in the back in their nest box with Tian, their mother. So uh, pretty cool to have two pandlets at Lincoln Children's Zoo. And those are not the only pandlets that we are announcing this week. Y'all, when I said I'm good at keeping secrets, I was told about this a while ago, but Greenville Zoo, our friends at Greenville have finally announced their birth of two red panda cubs, two pamphlets at Greenville. They are also very cute. I know you're shocked, but they are also going out on exhibit with mom from time to time already. So if you happen to be in the Carolinas and want to make your way to the Greenville Zoo, you will be able to see two little balls of fluff following their mother around, which um... Um, is always just an amazing thing to see. So uh, you could head on down there and and check out the pandlets. And while I'm always the most excited to talk about pandlets, um, there was actually a birth that is making really huge news this week that we have to talk about. Our good friends at Bright's Zoo have announced the birth of a new baby giraffe, a giraffelet. But it's different than any giraffe you've ever seen before because it doesn't have spots. It's just kind of a brown giraffe with like no markings um this is contrary to a lot of reports not the first time this has ever been seen in history but is in fact the second time as there is a photograph that is uh of another giraffe that is spotless uh that was born in the unio zoo in japan in 19. 19- 1972 1972. So um, yeah this is this is the second time that we know of that this has happened which is is pretty cool and uh, the zoo is asking people to help name their new baby. Uh, there are four names that you can choose from. They are Kippiki which means unique. Ferali, which means unusual or extraordinary. Shakiri, which means she is most beautiful. And Jamela, which means one of great beauty. So uh, if one of those names speaks to you, you can go to the Bright's Zoo Facebook page and vote until Labor Day, which is September 4th. So go ahead and uh, check out our friends at Bright Zoo. See this amazing once in a lifetime for a lot of us animal and um, help name it couple of other pretty exciting births this week the fort wayne children's zoo has announced the birth of a baby sumatran orangutan to 28 year old mother tara the mother is doing an absolutely great job taking care of the baby and uh the baby's already nursing and stuff and it's it's very adorable so uh that is that is going well so congrats to the team there The Wilds has announced the birth of a brand new baby giraffe or a giraffelet. Again, I always have to laugh at myself as I say brand new baby, but that's what a lot of these press releases say, and I I don't think you can have a, you know... Not brand new baby, but, um, but that's what it says, so that's what I say a lot of the time. But yeah, anyway, the Wilds has a new giraffe that has been born to the herd, which is always great news. Cheyenne Mountain Zoo has announced the birth of two Amur Leopard Cubs, leplets, named Basha and Mango, who were named after a very generous donor. Uh, And so these cubs are actually 10 weeks old now, so they've been around for a little while and are doing really well. And um, it's always really cool to see Amur Leopard Cubs as they are really uh, important, you know, to their species. Uh, Not a lot left out in the wild, so good to have some new leplets running around. And then uh, for our births, the, the last two things that we're going to talk about here are, are species that don't always get a lot of attention. And I'm, I'm pretty darn excited uh, that they are this week. So first of all, the Brookfield Zoo has announced the birth of a brand new baby addicts, an adlet. And uh, an attics, in case you don't know, is, is a type of antelope. And um, this is just a, a really cool hoofstock species. They're really beautiful. They have kind of wavy horns. I guess curvy would be a better word, but they, they look wavy to me. You could can look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, and, and this is a long uh, tradition at Brookfield uh, because uh, they had the first addicts ever born in the United States back in 1941 and have had over 140 addicts births in that time. So I guess you could say that those numbers are really addicts-ing up. Anyway, Hoofstock's awesome and deserves more props and social media attention. Uh, Speaking of which, our good friends at the Lehigh Valley Zoo have announced the birth of a scimitar-horned oryx calf. That's right, y'all. There is a new scimitar-horned orlet in the world, which is very, very exciting. Um, And yeah, it's just really cool to see. They are a really beautiful uh, herd species that actually the the herd of oryxes actually At this zoo um, is in a mixed herd uh, with Eland. They all live together and it's really cool. And this is the first time that a calf has been born in the multi-species exhibit, which shows that they're all, you know, doing well and comfortable with each other and everything. So uh, very cool. Yay. Lehigh Valley Zoo. And so those are our births for the week, and uh, now we're going to turn to our deaths, and I'm sure you know which the first one uh, is going to be um toki the uh, beautiful wonderful resident killer whale at miami seaquarium who has been the subject of so much controversy lately and um, has has been in many zoo news episodes as well as getting her own episode with the former trainer because uh, people were trying to move her to a sea pen in Washington state that had never been built and reunite her with her mom even though uh, it's basically impossible for the whale in question to be her mom um, and and a, an NFL owner got involved in everything. Yeah, it's a weird story, uh, and it's over now because, unfortunately, Toki has passed away. Uh, and when I say unfortunately, honestly, my take on this is that it might be for the best. Uh, her house at Miami uh, her her tank was way too small and falling apart and the government was stepping in and trying to make them fix it and there was all kinds of drama. Moving her, A, was not, gonna happen i'm still convinced that um i am not a conspiracy theorist by the way but i'm still convinced that it couldn't happen there was no way they were going to get the permitting necessary jim ursay the owner of the indianapolis colts who was the billionaire who was funding a lot of this kept saying that it was going to happen really soon but they never applied for permitting they never spoke to noaa or any other regulating uh bodies who would have to sign off on this decision it was just a mess and it was a mess for a lot of reasons. And honestly, even though she's gone, it is going to continue to be a mess for a little bit. So um, Miami Sequarium and the Dolphin Company, which owns Seaquarium, announced that uh, her body was going to be transported to the University of Georgia Veterinary Hospital for uh, her necropsy. Now, I'm not going to lie. I actually love that for a lot of reasons, uh, mainly because there are a lot of conspiracy theories around right now about whether she actually died from renal failure or whether, you know, maybe she was killed to get rid of her or something like that. And I don't believe that is the case. I don't think that any of the vets or trainers that, that work with her would have been willing to that. Um, So hopefully a good necropsy from an independent place will put most of that to rest. I say most because, you know, conspiracy theories are running rampant right now, which isn't great, Um, just like on the Internet about everything. But yeah, so um, she's going there. But as soon as that was announced, a bunch of local media showed up with drones and captured footage of her being um, taken out of her tank and like gotten ready for necropsy, and it's really gross and um very clickbaity. And I I highly recommend you do not look that up, please. Like even if you're interested in that, I I I don't want you to give them clicks. The fact that that is a thing that um news sources are doing just to try to get their clicks and and get the extra story is really disgusting to me. Um, It also creates a question because there is Lai, the dolphin, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, and I apologize if I'm not, um, who lived with Toki and is now all alone, still in this tank that is way too small for these animals and in disrepair. Uh, So there is now a petition begging Shed Aquarium to take this dolphin into their custody as one of her former friends now lives there. And uh, I've not heard a response from Shed yet, but the pressure is there there. There is an online petition. And um, as these particular type of dolphins don't live at a lot of facilities, uh, it would make a lot of sense if they're available to. But shed also needs to be really careful and protect their population and everything. So it's a very nuanced and tough decision that needs to be made. But I am very confident that shed Aquarium will make the right decision in the end. So, yeah, there will be necropsy results soon and we'll know a little bit more about what's going on. But there's even controversy about what's going to happen with her remains post necropsy. Uh, A story went out that the Georgia Aquarium will be getting her full skeleton and will be displaying it. I have not seen that from a single reputable source, and the Georgia Aquarium certainly did not say it. Uh, they've not commented yet that I've seen um, denying it, but but they shouldn't have to um, unless it is a thing they're looking into. Uh, but also, um, there is a very strong native connection uh, with the tribes in the area where Toki is originally from, uh, and they want her remains to do a proper burial and and ceremony for that so there is still a lot of controversy about this poor whale that just uh was just swimming in a tank living her life you know it's it's really disgusting what humans can do and and you know it's such a weird reminder that um You know, one of the things I say on here all the time is I hate humans and stuff, usually when we're talking about um, (laughs) conservation stuff and people are doing bad things, you know. But this is one of those weird areas where, like, yeah, the people who took uh, Toki out of the wild 50 years ago did something really bad and should not have done that. But the trainers and people who have been in charge of her daily care and veterinarians and stuff since then have done their absolute best for her. They loved her. I mean, y'all saw the the Truth for Toki group that we've talked about on here a lot, I'm sure. And you saw their, their um interactions with her and the the training videos and stuff they posted over the years these are people who loved this animal you know and i truly believe that friends of toki which is the group that we trying to get her released truly believed they were doing the right thing they were wrong they were wrong um and and you get into some weird conversations about you know if you're trying to do the right thing, but you're using improper data and stuff, are you being a bad person? Are you being a good person? I, I tend to think there's a lot of more uh, areas of gray in this world than, than what maybe the Internet has, you think? It seems like everyone now is either a good guy or a bad guy. And um, I don't know, y'all, we're not living in Marvel Comics, you know? Uh, actually to be perfectly honest with you, I think sometimes like villains in comics have more nuance than people commenting on things, uh, on the internet nowadays. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it all serves as a huge reminder that, um, a lot of stuff can be very nuanced when it comes to animal care and to conservation. And people can try to do the right thing and cause problems, and people can try to do the wrong thing and and hit on something that is a success. And, and I don't know. There's just, there's a lot of thought that goes into it and a lot of stuff that we'll probably continue to discuss about this topic over the, the following weeks as new things develop. But at the end of the day, we need to just pause and take a moment and say goodbye to Toki. A whale who inspired not only hundreds of thousands of visitors who saw her perform, but then a huge movement online trying to protect her life in a variety of different ways. That's a beautiful thing. She will be missed. Moving on from Toki, uh, Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo has announced the passing of Pip, their four-year-old Brazilian ocelot. Now, obviously, four years old is very young for an ocelot to pass, Um, but uh, Pip passed following surgery for a long-planned artificial insemination. Uh, This was something that was suggested by the AZA Brazilian Ocelot SSP. Four veterinarians were on hand, including a reproduction specialist who was there from the Cincinnati Zoo— and uh, this is a procedure that has been successful before, including at Beardsley Zoo. Uh, so it's generally a very safe procedure, but it is surgery. And um, un- unfortunately, this one did not go really well. Um, it's-, it's interesting. So uh, ocelots don't breed super well in general, and they seem to especially not breed well in captivity. Um, so, uh, right now there are 35 Brazilian ocelots in human care in AZA facilities And 40% of those cats were born by artificial insemination procedures or are the offspring of parents who were produced by artificial insemination. So it's really important to keep and grow this population that we do artificial insemination with these animals, despite the fact that it didn't work out in Pip's case. So, sending our love and condolences to Beardsley Zoo. Uh, And I also want to thank them for being so ridiculously transparent about. Why this happened and how it happened and um, why it's important to keep following this path, despite the fact that it had a negative outcome this time. We also say goodbye to Kirby this week. Kirby was a 33-year-old black and white ruffed lemur who lived at ABQ Biopark in Albuquerque and was believed to be the oldest of his species in human care in North America. In case you're wondering, the life expectancy for this species is 18.4 years. So like pretty close to doubling that, which is is pretty awesome. Uh, Congrats to the team at ABQ Biopark for having such a long lived animal and condolences for uh, the loss of Kirby. And last but not least in our deaths section this week, the Cincinnati Zoo announced the death of Nagini, a Burmese python that lived in the Manatee Springs exhibit and was around 20 years old and 140 pounds, which is pretty huge. Although she was a very large and kind of scary looking snake to a lot of people, uh, she was known for being very gentle and the team at Manatee Springs is going to miss her very much. So sending our love to everyone at the Cincinnati Zoo. Moving on from births and deaths, we're going to start off with two stories uh, from our friends at Roger Williams Park Zoo. The zoo recently announced the birth of 4,000 eastern spadefoot toadlets, and yes, they call them toadlets, which I love, which are going to be released into the wild. In fact, a third of those have already been released and are out in the uh, wilds of Rhode Island, helping to restore the population, with the rest of them being planned to be released soon into very specific locations where they can hopefully thrive. Uh, the tadpoles were, were hatched and raised under the care of our good friend, Lou Parati, the Director of Conservation at Roger Williams Park Zoo. And once they morphed into toadlets and became ready to release, they uh, started to be released. It's a really, really big deal that partners with not just the zoo, but Operations Spadefoot, Rhode Island, the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management, the University of Rhode Island, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Northeast Region, the Rhode Island Natural History Survey, the Richmond Rural Preservation Land Trust, and the South Kingstown Land Trust, the Nature Conservancy, and the Natural Resource Conservation Service, as well as some other smaller stakeholders. And I mention all those names not just to give them props, but because it's amazing to see how even just getting some toads out into the wild that are taken care of by this amazing zoo really does take a ton of work and a ton of different organizations organizations so that is a really exciting story out of roger williams park zoo my other story out of there is frankly less exciting no it's actually pretty cool uh the red panda habitat at the zoo is currently closed for renovations that's the part that's less exciting the part that is more exciting is that the habitat will be reopening in 2024 and it's being completely redesigned it's going to feature all season indoor viewing which is Awesome, because I have been there many times where the pandas are choosing to be inside and then you can't see them. And also an updated habitat, both of which will feature loads of places for the pandas to climb and explore. Uh, I'm also personally hoping that this will mean that they'll have uh, room for breeding and such and that we'll have little pandlets at Roger Williams Park Zoo. Because I got to tell you, if I can go and see a tree kangaroo joey and bentlets and pandlets all at the same zoo, I might just move to Providence, Rhode Island. I mean, my goodness, y'all. So pretty exciting times at Roger Williams Park Zoo. The St. Louis Zoo recently hosted a Toss the Tusk Day where people could come and turn in any ivory they might have with uh, no consequences. Uh, beyond just collecting the ivory and getting it off the market, the event featured some educational stuff where hundreds of visitors were able to learn about the massive loss of elephants due to the trafficking of elephant ivory. So that's very exciting and I'm very proud of the St. Louis Zoo for doing it. And on top of that, there are going to be other zoos in the country that do it, so keep your eyes out for the Toss the Tusk events. And even if you don't have any ivory to contribute, try to go and support them if you can it's a really good thing the honolulu zoo has announced a partnership with aloha beer company Uh, And they're hosting something called Brews for the Zoo Night at Aloha, where from 5 to 10 p.m. Anybody who goes there, uh, all proceeds from all beer pints sold and from the sales of their exclusive collab teas and Trunks Up IPA six pack will directly support the conservation of Asian elephants, including the two that live at the Honolulu Zoo. So I mention that not because I think a whole bunch of you are going to go running off to Honolulu right now, although... Uh, if if you do, take take me with you. Um, but I'm seeing this more and more, and I kind of want to put it out in the world because I know a lot of people who work at zoos, um, you know, listen to the podcast. But it's really cool when zoos and aquariums and such partner with local businesses for things like this. I mentioned on here, I believe, last week that um, Zoe and Miles and I went to an Italian restaurant and I had an absolutely amazing dinner. And a portion of the money that came from our dinner went to Aquarium of Niagara. It was this really cool partnership thing. And also a bunch of the trainers ended up going there and eating there. I saw some friends from the aquarium and it was just, it was really cool. It was a really cool event. And, um, you know, it wasn't anything special that they really had to do. They partnered with the restaurant. Restaurants are often looking for donations that they can give and such because it is a tax write-off. And, uh, you know, there was no setup at the aquarium. Nobody had to work late. It It was a whole thing. And they got they got money, and a lot of the people who love the aquarium uh, learned about a new Italian restaurant. I did, and boy, did I love it! And um, it was just win wins all around. So I would be looking for places that will partner with you on stuff like this if you work at a zoo, and um, if you see stuff like that, go and support it. I know Chipotle does this with a lot of different organizations and stuff. Go eat those meals and support organizations that are partnering with restaurants and other things in their community, because not only does does it help financially, but it gets the word out in the community that these places exist. Every single person that went to that restaurant that night who weren't already there to support the aquarium... Learned about the aquarium. They, they got a little paper saying, hey, you can support the aquarium and the aquarium exists. Yay. And we got stickers for supporting the aquarium. And I mean, stickers are amazing. So, yeah, I think it's a cool thing that everyone should be looking into whether you work at a zoo and want to help make that partnership or just keep your eyes out for ways to support places that are supporting zoos and aquariums like that. The Toronto Zoo has officially opened their new Orangutans of Ganong Lesore, Guardians of the Rainforest Outdoor Habitat, and now have their Orangutans exploring it and oh boy are they as soon as they were allowed out for the first time Poupe, a 56 year old female and original resident of the Toronto Zoo stepped out and spent the entire morning searching through all of it just exploring all of it and it is a really cool place because there's a stream running through it that uh, they're able to play in, there are awesome ropes they can climb on, there are even 75 foot towers that they can climb up to enjoy the breeze Uh, it, it seems Seems like the exhibit is really great for the humans looking and, more importantly, for the orangutans living in it. I, for one, cannot wait to get back up to Toronto and check out this incredible exhibit. And speaking of zoos and great apes, the San Antonio Zoo has announced some plans for expansion, starting with a new entrance for visitors this year, which will be in use by late November. And then by early 2025, they will be bringing gorillas back to the zoo after a 32 year absence they're also going to be building a new event center at that time so lots of exciting things going on at the san antonio zoo especially getting gorillas back a zookeeper at the Jackson Zoo in Jackson, Mississippi, was recently injured after being attacked by a monkey. The injuries were non life threatening, but as yet, the details have not been released to the public, nor has any more information about the animal other than that it was a monkey. Uh, the keeper was in the exhibit taking care of the monkey, um, which, depending on the species of monkey, you know, could be okay or not. Um, and, and it was attacked. And that's all that's been released so far. But uh, this is not the only issue that the park has had uh, lately. Uh, earlier this year, an Asiatic black bear got out of its enclosure into the hallway behind it. Uh, it never got out into, like, the public, but was out in the keeper space. And actually, um city leaders uh in jackson are currently debating whether or not they should keep the zoo open for financial reasons as well as the safety concerns so there is just a lot of drama surrounding this uh zaa accredited zoo which until 2016 was aza accredited but then gave up that accreditation and joined the zaa instead And now for a bunch of quick hit zoo news stories. Tropical storm Hillary recently hit Southern California, causing a bunch of closures. But uh, despite the facilities being closed for literally just part of a day in some cases, seems like everyone came through it okay. And um, so far, I haven't heard any negative things uh, from those facilities about the tropical storm hitting in California, other than the fact that it's really weird that a tropical storm hit in California. The Philly Zoo has announced that they have been chosen by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to be the permanent home of two recently rescued orphaned puma cubs now we've talked a lot about this happening at like the oakland zoo and some other places and it's just really cool whenever a great facility gets to care for animals that otherwise would pass away in the wild the puma cubs are not on exhibit right now and it will be a while until they are but they are able to be seen on the social media pages of the Philadelphia Zoo. The Akron Zoo is going to be hosting a uh, clue at the zoo event, which is going to be a, quote, murder mystery kind of thing, except it's not actually murder mystery. Uh, They have a new Patagonian Mara habitat there, and they posted a picture of it having been toilet papered. And so now they're having an event where you can go and check out the clues and figure out who toilet papered this exhibit, which I think is just really adorable and seems really fun. Speaking of Adorable and the Akron Zoo, uh, they announced that on August 22nd and 25th, the staff would be performing animal escape drills that would be happening while the zoo is open to the public. They are drilling at these moments what they would do if an animal were to escape out of their bedroom, but would still be secure in the building. Guests at the zoo would be allowed to hang out and watch these things happen and um what they do to, to practice is they have staff members in animal onesies acting like the animals. So I, I really wish I had been able to to go there and see that absolutely adorable, uh, <laughs> but very important safety training. Roger Williams Park Zoo has announced that the sloth pup that they had recently, their little slothlet, has a name now. And the name is Jeffrey. The sloth was named in honor of a zookeeper's family member who recently passed away, which is a really beautiful thing. And I love that they allowed uh, the name to be Jeffrey. So I thought that was very cool. And speaking of baby sloths, uh, the Cincinnati Zoo has finally announced that Lightning and Baby Juno are on exhibit at the Animal Ambassador Center in the Children's Zoo, where you can normally go and see Lightning. You can also see my my Binturong friend Lucille um, and Rico the Porcupine. It's a good place, just saying. But you may remember that there had been some questions about Lightning's health. She recovered slowly from giving birth, but now all seems to be great and uh, she is on exhibit with the baby. So you can Go and see that. And while we're talking about sloths, you can now go to our good friends at the Greensboro Science Center and meet the new star of the Greensboro Biodome, Indy. Linnaeus two-toed sloth. So this is going to be a sloth that ends up living in their uh, expedition rainforest, the Greensboro biodome project that is coming down the line. But the sloth is already at the facility and you can go and see Indy on exhibit currently in their um, Amazon exhibit in their aquarium. So very cool and a great opportunity to see a sloth there as well. So many sloths that you can go see in a row. You're welcome. And then finally, for the quick hits, Beardsley Zoo is hosting an otter naming contest for their little baby otlets. So uh, if you're interested in that, go and check out their social media pages and vote for the otter name that you like best. And then our last Zoo News story comes from across the pond at the Edinburgh Zoo, where a penguin has been promoted to the rank of Major General in the Army of Norway. This is not a joke, y'all. Major General Sir Nils Olav III, Baron of the Bouvet Islands, is now the most highly decorated penguin in the world. That's because, A, penguins don't get decorated by militaries ever. I was going to say very often, but really ever. Um, But also because this is the third highest rank that you can have in the Norwegian Armed Forces. So the reason this is happening is that uh, the penguin in question is actually um, the official mascot of uh, the King's Guard on Norway. And so this is this is a big pump and circumstance thing that they enjoy doing. Over 160 uniformed soldiers visited the zoo in Scotland to bestow this honor upon the king penguin and did full on military pump and circumstance for it. Now, this is, is, this is just like a ranking up because the penguin in question was already a brigadier. So um, it, it's pretty exciting. As a matter of fact, this king penguin actually wears epaulets. So, uh, you can go and, and see pictures of that. They are every bit as ridiculous as they sound. Um, but yeah, there, there was a full, like not only all those soldiers, but they had a drummer and some bugle players and all kinds of stuff to do this properly. So I guess congratulations to the most, um, uh, awarded penguin in the history of military penguins. Question mark. Stereotypical animal podcasting song. Here to bring you to conservation news. All right, y'all. So, uh, this first story brought to my attention an organization known as NAPSA, which is the North American Primate Sanctuary Alliance, which uh, I've just started to delve into a little bit. And I think they look really amazing. I'm really excited to learn more about this organization and the work they are doing to uh, help primates that have been treated poorly. Sadly, the reason that I discovered them is that I was sent a story about the fact that the Lawrence County Fair is currently planning on hosting a banana derby monkey rodeo. This is in Pennsylvania. Now, I don't know why my my birth state has become almost as bad as Florida with all the crazy animal stories that I'm sharing, but they're they're planning on having a monkey rodeo. And I debated whether to put this in conservation news or in other news, since it's about, you know, specific animals being mistreated. But the truth is that there is all kinds of evidence out there now that when we see Primates in human type things, whether it's pictures of them in clothing or apparently them doing an entire stinking rodeo, um, you know, it it makes people think of them as pets and makes people think of them as not wild animals and hurts conservation efforts. So that is why it is in conservation news. But that's not the main focus. The main focus is that a fair in Newcastle, Pennsylvania is planning on having this. This is insane to me. This is this is 2023, y'all. And I'm, I'm really sad about this. Um, so uh, you know I, I wish I knew more of what to say to do other than to not support these do not go to these if you see them report them to organizations like NAPSA uh, and NAPSA has written to the fair and asked them to not do this and has uh, prepared a full position statement on monkey rodeos shockingly that statement is that they are bad I'm uh, I'm shrinking it down a little bit but you know we need to be quippy on zoo news but um, this is really disturbing to me y'all and 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 if any of you who listen to this, if the the thousands of you that, that take your time to listen to this are able and willing to reach out to the Lawrence County Fair in Newcastle, Pennsylvania and let them know how despicable this is and how they are just perpetuating some really bad things about monkeys by doing this, it would be greatly appreciated. I know I'm going to. All right, on a happier note for our conservation stuff, uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that there was an organization that tracks sea turtle nests in one specific area of Texas, and they noticed that there were record numbers of sea turtle nests already for the year there, despite the fact that the year is not over yet and nesting season is not over yet. Well, it turns out that was not alone, as all throughout the Carolinas and Georgia and Florida and Texas, Reports are coming in saying that sea turtle nesting is hitting an all-time high since we started tracking it. People aren't entirely sure why, but I'm going to take this as a win that conservation efforts are working and and making people care about these animals is is working. And uh, yeah, it's just really, really exciting news. So there's good news for sea turtles. Yay! All right, so uh, apologies in advance if I pronounce this word wrong, but um, I looked up the pronunciation and there are multiple different ones online. But a giant insect that has been absent from its home in New Zealand for almost 200 years is now making a comeback. This is a wetapunga, which is the largest of 11 species of giant weta and one of the world's largest insects that actually emerged before four dinosaurs and then outlived them until right around 1840 when they were wiped out by predators that had been introduced to the islands of New Zealand. There were a few individuals left. They weren't completely extinct by that year. And um, some of the ones that managed to make it into the 2000s were collected by the Auckland Zoo, which had been breeding them uh, with the aim of reintroducing them into the wild. And last Wednesday... Over 300 juvenile Wettapunga were released onto two islands in the Bay of Islands, which is a great name for a bay containing islands that happens to be in New Zealand. Uh, this has been a conservation effort that is 20 years in the making as they had to restore native flora and fauna to the islands that had been wiped out in order to create the proper environment for this insect to live on. In case you're wondering, the bug in question kind of looks like a grasshopper and is about the size of your hand. So, Uh, good luck sleeping tonight, now that you know that. But congratulations to the team for getting these animals back out into the wild. Since I already talked about a horrible thing happening in Pennsylvania, it feels only right to uh, point out that Florida's keeping up, don't worry. Uh, A photo of a person holding a dolphin out of the water in Florida has prompted an investigation. Um, Just a quick reminder to everybody listening to this, if you uh, see dolphins in the water, leave them there like just no stop it bad human so as if polar bear conservation efforts aren't challenging enough already uh one of the most important things that we need to do is get data from polar bear dna and the problem with that is that most of the polar bear monitoring and the ability to get that dna is done using aircraft which rely on landing on sea ice, which is melting and going away. So it has actually become much harder to get that DNA and track polar bears because we can't send planes to the areas where they are and find enough sea ice for them to land. This, this whole climate change thing is very real, y'all. However, scientists are starting to make up for this gap in data collection by turning to eDNA, which is um, environmental DNA, which is found in the skin cells left behind in polar bear footprints as they track across the snow. So now you just need to get a researcher down to polar bear prints, and uh, the researcher in question will collect the snow and then take it in to study the eDNA and be able to track polar bears that way, which is much less invasive, requires much less sea ice, and in general may be the latest technology used to help save this species. And last but not least, in conservation news, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife has confirmed the presence of a new wolf pack in California. This is a gray wolf pack, and gray wolves are native to California, but had been completely removed by the state uh, by the 1920s, and they remained out of California until roughly 2011, when a few gray wolves crossed the state line before then leaving and going back to Oregon. Since that time, three packs of established gray wolves have moved into California, and so this is the fourth one, uh, with the last two just coming in 2021 and the first coming in 2017. So it's really exciting to see multiple packs of this wolf that is originally from California now being back in the state. And uh, friendly reminder, they are protected under California's Endangered Species Act, as well as being federally protected in California under the Federal Endangered Species Act. So um, it's really great news to have them back, and hopefully those protections hold and the gray wolf can start to take back more of its range in California. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, you now, right now, right now, it's time, it's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the paw got other news. All right. So uh, the Audubon Society has announced that uh, they finally think they understand how fish show up in isolated ponds and puddles that have no waterways that connect them to make it make sense that fish got there. It seems like mallard ducks are responsible for ferrying fish eggs between water bodies near and far. So basically, um, these mallards share their ponds, marshes and lake edges with spawning carp and the eggs float in the water or sink to the shallows and attach to submerged plants. Then the mallards eat there and uh, it seems like some of those eggs remain alive and intact as they pass through the mallard's acidic gut they did a study and they found out that this is what happens and so now when you see any of those weird things where you see like a completely isolated pond that has fish in it or you see even sometimes you'll see puddles that have little fish in it and you're like how is that possible this is going to dry up soon that fish was born as an egg got eaten by a mallard got pooped out in that area and then it hatched. So um, that is a poop fish. That is what you are seeing. You are seeing a poop fish. Just thought you'd like to know. Uh, Also, things that I thought you might like to know, uh, Zoo Pal's plates are back. They were discontinued nearly 10 years ago. Um, But these are little plates that are animal looking. And um, the main part of the plate is the animal's face. And then there are two little like side dish cups that, depending on the species, are either the ears or like in the case of a whale, the tail or like the feet of a turtle. They are really, really adorable and you can find them online. All 10 of the original plates are available, including Tina the tiger, Theo the bear, Speckles the ladybug, Shelly the turtle, Puddles the duck, Cosmo the cow, Domino the dalmatian. I don't see a lot of dalmatians in zoos, but whatever. Curly the pig, Fritz the frog, and Baloo the whale. I generally don't encourage using disposable plates, but if you need to, ZooPals are the way to do it. And then last but not least in other news, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has officially awarded their award for the funniest joke of their festival, and it is relevant to our podcast. Comedian Lorna Rose Treen was voted the winner when she said, I started dating a zookeeper, but it turned out he was a cheetah. And there you have it, folks. Funniest joke at the fest. I know I laughed. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right. And that brings us to our animal holidays for the week. It is the last full week of August, uh, which is National Parks Month, National Catfish Month. August is for Antelope Month and Asian Elephant Awareness Month. And then for your individual days this week, on the 26th, we have National Dog Day and World African Painted Dog Day, which technically they're still dogs, so I guess it's their day twice. And then on the 30th, we have International Whale Shark Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, folks, there you have it. Another episode of Ross Safari Zoo News is in the books. I would like to say thank you to my Red Panda-level patrons, Dr. Laura Shank and Dr. Stephen Williamson, and to remind you all that you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash I'd also like to remind you all that this is a crowd-sourced news show, and I'd like to thank the following people for contributing stories this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kevin Williams, Amanda Berg, Lisa Claire, Jacob Zinn, Emily Rockbuck, Jesse Gorman, Sam Evans, Liz Dunleavy, Eric Kankar, Karen Musklow, Dylan Hoy, Melissa Reed, Emily Poche, Mary Blair Taylor Gray Randy Brown Maxine Van Dam and Elizabeth Charles yes yes anyway thank you all for contributing and remember friends the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. the Rossafari podcast is produced hosted and engineered by John Rossi editing and fact checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke performed by Nathan and John Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at Rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.